family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I'm excited um, as my other role here at the church is missions pastor. And so I'm excited for this, this trip. It's an opportunity um, for, for us to engage in, in international missions um, in, a, in a beautiful way. If you are uh, a kid from K through, tw- through K through second grade, not 12th grade, <laughs> if you wanna be a volunteer in the ministry and you're in 12th grade, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> but if you are K through second grade, you guys can head back to the back to Miss Kristen uh, for Children's Church. Uh, and she'll take you out there. So as we engage on this Lenten series, we are, uh, we're talking about um, questions on the road to the cross. Uh, and and uh, all throughout scripture, God is a, a question asker. Uh, God continually asks these questions in order to engage in relationship with us. These questions uh, all the way back to Adam and Eve where, where God asks Adam and Eve, uh, where are you in the garden? He, he was drawing them into relationship. Even though he knew the wrong that they had done, he, he, want, he desires to draw us into relationship. And these questions all throughout the Old Testament lead us to the day where Christ gives his life, the, the penultimate moment in our Christian faith where, where God leads, leads us into a relationship through his death and resurrection on the cross his grace for us. And these questions, they continue to build to that point. And so, um, so we're gonna be in a season of engaging in questions and processing through that. And so I'd love to hear your questions uh, about the sermon series, about uh, my own life. Um, feel free to write any of those questions that you have during this time. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to kind of start out today, uh, before we dive into the scripture, I wanted to, to kind of give you a, a, an idea of my context of the, kind of where some of my stories, uh, a lot of our stories uh, are how God interacted with us in and amongst our family as we grew up. And so uh, I want to share a couple pictures um, with you as, as kind of my family and kind of my, my family dynamic. Um, we've been here at this church for 11 years now. And uh, my daughter is, uh, is almost 11 years old. So we had just had our kid. We were in Livingston and moved down here. Uh, and this church has kind of raised me and my family. And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to walk alongside um, each and every one of you. Um, this was uh, Kate's first day in, uh, in SLC. She grew up in this, in this church. Uh, that, that first picture was, uh, was our first Easter Sunday uh, here at the church um, where she is, she's praising the Lord. And so uh, this is not only not only a place that I get to serve the Lord, but it's also the place in which I worship the Lord. Um, this is my home church. 
And so it's, it's a, such an such a incredible honor and a, such an incredible privilege to be able to serve alongside you. Uh, my family, um, I come from a family of four kids, a uh, family of six. Uh, you can see uh, me and my, my, my brothers on this next slide. Um, this is, a, I, feel, I felt obligated to give a cringy middle school picture um, <laughs> because that's me in the middle um, trying to live into, uh, into my, uh, my coolness. Um, and so this is my younger brother, Bennett, um, and then my older brother, Jake. Uh, there's about two years difference. Um, and I have a, a younger sister as well. I think there's another picture of us. Oh no, this is, this is me and my hair. Um, <laughs> man, uh, my wife gives me, uh, gives me mess about uh, my, the different phases of my hairdo uh, over the years. Um, this was my, like, my, uh, I, I carried this one into youth ministry because uh, it just felt right. Uh, but it's, this is the, the fullness. This is the fullness of Clint Wiley right there. Um, the next picture is my, my, uh, my sibling group. Um, this is my younger sister, Emma. Uh, my older brother, uh, Jake on the far, your far left. And then my little brother, uh, Bennett, who is not, not little um, at all. And then uh, I think the next Next picture, there we go. And these are my parents, um, Jim and Kim Wiley. Uh, these are incredibly hardworking, um, loving parents who raised us in the church, um, who became Christians right before they had us as kids. Uh, and so they were incredibly passionate about the Lord whenever they were raising us. Um, they still are. Um, but my, my dad is a chiropractor, uh, still working today. And uh, my mom was a, an RN nurse that worked nights. Um, and so her schedule was, was always crazy because she wanted to be available um, for us as, as often as possible. And so I'm so thankful for her uh, hardworking. Um, I'm, a, I'm a middle child. Um, so I kind of, uh, I like to blaze my own trail. Um, I had to figure out my own path. Uh, all of my brothers, uh, and my sister at one point worked in the same chiropractic office together. And I was the black sheep down here in Texas. Uh, they're all in Kansas City. I was the black sheep down here in Texas being a pastor. Um, and so, uh, so I've always kind of had kind of that desire to blaze my own trail. If you're an Enneagram person, uh, you can relate to me. I'm a three wing four. Um, if you're a Myers-Briggs kind of person, I'm an ENFP. Um, for, uh, for all of you, we can have a conversation about that if you want. Uh, I'd love to dive into that because I think those are really fascinating. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, I love Jesus and that's, that's my greatest passion. And so it's an honor to be able to, to step into this place and to, um, to share with you uh, oftentimes a lot of the things that I'm learning um, deeply and the ways that God's, God's speaking into my own heart. So today, as we dive into scripture, uh, we're gonna be in uh, Genesis chapter four, uh, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel. And the question that we are asked in this space, the question that God asks Cain is, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? What we really deal with here is this idea of how we deal with the generosity of God. You know, I've tried uh, long and hard to figure out God. Anybody else? Right, I've, 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 I've prayed prayers that didn't get answered and so I prayed it different so that it might get answered. 
right? I've, I've tried to figure out the formulas of God and how God works. If, if I do this, then God will do this. And every time um, God turns it back on me and says, no, no, that's not, that's really not how I work. Oftentimes, uh, God seems to operate on a different logic and an understanding of the world than we do, doesn't he? I remember as a kid, um, we, uh, we grew up in a pretty frugal household. I wouldn't say poor, uh, but we didn't have ex- excess, right? We didn't go out and like do a lot of extra things. We didn't go out to eat a lot. Um, we, had, we, had, we would come home from the store with a six pound bag of toasty oats, right? And st- or, uh, or marshmallow mateys, right? Uh, and, uh, and so that was kind of that kind of even, even just the cereal that we ate kind of shaped my understanding of the world. I remember um, my parents uh, had like, they were incredibly generous. Uh, I mean, there were seasons where I know that they always gave a tithe and they always, uh, there was always somebody else living at our house because they had, they had welcomed somebody in. And, but it felt like their generosity was for everybody else except for us right? Except for me as their kid, right? There were so many things that I would ask for that I would want and they'd be like, eh, I don't think you need that, right? And I remember um, this, this, like, this moment when my, my older brother became like middle school, high school. I think he was uh, kind of in high school and I was right in middle school. And uh, my brother, uh, they came to my brother. My brother had asked for like these clothes or whatever because he didn't want to be like the not cool kid. Um, and so my parents gave my brother a clothing allowance, they just gave him like this, this, what seemed like an exorbitant amount of money. It was probably like a hundred bucks, right? Um, and they were like, you can, you can get any clothes that you want. Um, it's on you. This is your money to get clothing with. But just, just know that like, that we're not buying you other clothes. Like this is for you. Just base it out, use it however you want. And my brother, I just, I, just, I remember this vividly. He came back from the mall with it, with the most awesome jacket I've ever seen, right? It was this, this bright canary yellow Abercrombie and Fitch jacket. And if, if you grew up in that time, you knew Abercrombie and Fitch was like expensive and it was like so cool, right? And in Kansas City, you wear jackets a lot. Um, here, you don't really wear jackets much, but their jackets are like the thing, you're like you wear jackets. And I just remember like idolizing this jacket and in so idolizing this, this clothing allowance. Someday, someday I'm gonna have that opportunity. Someday that generosity is gonna be passed down to me. And I remember uh, it, my brother, older brother was like, probably like Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Like I just wanted that thing so badly. Um, I, don't worry, I didn't throw him into a cistern and sell him off into slavery. But, um, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to so bad, right? So the day came when my, um, I got to be like that same age. I was like counting down the days and I like approached my parents and I'm like, so about that clothing allowance thing. And my mom looked at me and she's like, I, you know, I just, I don't think we're going to do that anymore. And my, my heart like dropped. And, and I, I just remember like vividly, like being so scornful, like, like, why is that generosity not for me too? Like you gave this thing to my older brother, but you have not, you didn't pass that same kind of generosity down to me. 
In our story today, we see Cain and Abel, twins at birth, Cain being the older and Abel being the younger, wrestling with this idea of God's generosity. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter four, starting in verse one. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. This means that they're likely twins. Uh, there was not a second conception. Um, so in, in scripture, we kind of recognize, similar to Jacob and Esau, that these, these two brothers were so close in age, so close in birth, birthright, but Cain was the older. Cain was the, the owner of the birthright and heritage. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the, uh, of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but not for Cain and his offerings. See, Cain is the firstborn, isn't he? Cain's the firstborn. He's the one that ought to receive the favor of the Lord. He's the one that, that always gets the first. He always gets the, the greater portion. And all of a sudden, God is, is showing favoritism on Abel, his brother, and not Cain. This is important for us. Uh, also, we can miss something if we, don't, if we don't stop here, if we don't kind of comb through the details of this text. Um, God is in direct relationship with Cain and Abel. Even after uh, they've been exiled from the Garden of Eden, even, even though the sins of their father and mother, Adam and Eve, they're living just outside of the garden, this place where they were promised, this place that they were meant to be, living outside in, in a sinful world, and yet God is in direct relationship. It says that they brought their offering and immediately... Cain was not okay with the way that God responded. I don't know about you, but whenever I bring my offering up to the altar, I'm, it's not like a, a thumbs up or thumbs down from God, whether it was a good offering or not, right? That'd be really weird if that was, every time we put like an offering in the plate, we like look up and God's like, you know. Um, like there's this direct relationship that's happening, this direct correlation, um, which shows that God is in, uh, has a deep desire to still be connected to his people, even though they've fallen away. God is so relational that he is deeply invested in their story. So it happens that Cain was very angry at this and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? See, he's the firstborn. This doesn't make sense in his logic of how God's generosity ought to be poured out. And so he's mad. So he's frustrated about it. And then God does something beautiful. He asks him a question. He doesn't tell him what he's done wrong, but he asks him a question. He says, I see how you responded to that. And he calls him to righteousness. He calls him to, this is, this is a, almost a test for Cain to say, uh, to say something about his character, the, the way that he brought his offering. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? 
This term, uh, if you do well, if you, if you do well, is not necessarily like if you do all the right things. It's not like a checklist of all the things that you should have done before you brought your offering and you didn't do well, so you got marked off on the test, right? It's like a, a purity of heart, um, this, this understanding. If you do well, if, if, if your actions and your heart is the way that I have called you into offering, um, then, then will you not be accepted? Of course I love you. Of course I'm for you. You will be accepted if your heart is right, is what he's calling him to. Do you believe that I'm for you? Just like the question that he asked to Adam and Eve. Don't you know that I love you? What he does here is he lays out this fork in the road for Cain as a response to his impure motives when he came to an offering. Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, this fork in the road. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. I love this imagery. And the author is specifically doing it for a reason. He, he, he uses this, this inanimate object, sin, and gives it a, um, a human characteristic. What's that called? Anybody know? Nice. You guys nailed it personification, right? He personifies sin as this crouching beast. And he says, he says, it's desire, it's waiting. It's, it is waiting right outside the door and its desire is to consume you. Its desire is to take over you. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is a call back to Adam and Eve where, he, where God gave the, commi- the, the commission to them to rule over, to dominate, to, to have dominion over all of the beasts of the field and the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He called them to that. He said, this is for you. And now he's calling Cain to master this sin that is crouching like a beast, ready to devour you. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And then Cain said to Abel, his brother, let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. There's no no response even from Cain. He doesn't, he, he hears what God says and he doesn't even turn his heart to engage in the conversation and the relationship. There's, there's no seeking in his heart as to what's wrong with him in this moment. And it's no joke, there's no, uh, no mistake that the author uses these words, um, specifically says, and Cain rose up against his brother. It's almost as if he's tying the, the, the sin crouching, right, in a lower position and rising up against the brother. Almost as if sin has overtaken Cain. Almost as if sin has become Cain. And he is sin that was crouching and is now rising up against his brother. Yeah, I think this is a a warning for us that we'll come back to. His desire is for you. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Remember, questions over answers. 
God knows where Abel is, but questions over answers because he, he desires to draw us into the conversation, to draw us into relationship, to give us an opportunity at reconciliation. He pursues us in our brokenness. And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, all throughout scripture, God tells us, yes, you are your brother's keeper. But he gives them even this one more chance. This one more chance at confessions, one more chance at reconciliation. And then noticing the heart, the posture, the attitude of Cain, the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which it has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me, right? He's, he's even pointing the finger back to God. This isn't my response. I didn't do this. Thou hast driven me. Thou hast driven me this day away from the ground and from thy face I shall be hidden and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will slay me. That's an interesting line because it tells us a little bit more about the cosmos, about that there are more people in the world at this time than just Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, which is a fascinating question and interesting to think about. But uh, then the Lord said to him, not so, not so. Not so will people, whoever finds you, slay you. If anyone slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Friends, this is abounding grace. Cain doesn't deserve even an ounce of that kind of grace after what he has done. Undeserved grace, undeserved generosity. Though he has failed the test, though he has rejected God, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who come upon him shall kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. And you say, thanks be to God. So church, what do we do? What do we do with the grace, gracious generosity of God? Right, when life seems to happen, when life feels like the offerings that we have placed before God are not reciprocated with equal or greater blessings from God. We feel that God hasn't met his end of the bargain. I've been faithful. I've done all the things that I need to do. Right, I've, I, I go to church every week. I went to Bible study twice this week and I even prayed with my kids last night. So how in the world could I get this cancer diagnosis now? So how in the world could I lose my job in this season of my life? How in the world could my marriage be in shambles? None of this makes sense. God, where is your generosity now? I know that there have been more times in my life than I'd like to admit that I've been like Cain, where I've projected my expectations on God, 
that he should bless me because of these things that I've done. I expect to be blessed in the manner in which I want to be blessed in the timing that I desire to be blessed. Because you owe me that much, God. (laughs) That the offering of my life requires equal and reciprocal blessing. Thankfully, it doesn't work that way. Because if it did work that way, then that would also mean that the punishment that I deserve should be done equally and reciprocal to my sins. But thanks be to God for the grace of God that that that's not the case in my story. So we have to then accept the other side of the coin too. That maybe, just maybe, the benefits that I think I deserve may not come in the timing or the way that I think I deserve it. Friends, maybe, just maybe, God rejecting Cain's offering was the greatest form of generosity if it cured his heart. What if the greatest blessing that we could receive is correction? What if the greatest gift that we could receive is that we don't get exactly what we want? Maybe, just maybe, the path to the fullness of life that he promises us is that he forcefully removes that idol from our story even if it hurts. Friends, oftentimes what I've experienced is that when the bottom falls out in our life, maybe God is opening up the door to a blessing that is far outside of the cage that we've been living in. And when the bottom falls out, we get to experience the fullness of his joy, the fullness of life that he promises us. We get to fully experience the generosity of God, but it comes oftentimes in pain. You see, the generosity of God is is not about worldly blessing. The generosity of God is the promise that he says that I am for you, that I am with you, that you are my greatest desire and my greatest desire for you is that you might have fullness of life. And that is found in me, in my presence. So how do we respond to God's generosity? I think that's a question that that we have to wrestle with. How do we respond to God's generosity? Um, I have three things that I think our scripture kind of pulls out and I'll kind of wrap up with this. When you experience pain, anger, frustration, sorrow, confusion with God, and that's okay to experience those things, I think we are first called to examine our hearts. All right, Cain, Cain, when he was angry with God, God asked him so that he might reveal the, the, the brokenness inside of his heart. He asked him, why are you so angry? Right, why is your countenance fallen? I wanna process this with you. I wanna, I wanna get to the root of it. But oftentimes we, we wait until we have killed our brother before we actually come to a place of reflection, of self-reflection before we actually begin to look at our own heart. We get so far down the road that sin has has captured us, that sin has taken over before we ever reflect. Friends, I think that we are supposed to do that on a regular basis. 
Number two, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Because in these moments, that's when sin is waiting outside the door. In these moments where we're questioning God, where we're questioning the goodness of God, we're questioning the grace of God, we're questioning who God is, those are the moments that sin desires to, to devour us. Sin de- desires to find that, that crevice and, and, and wedge his way in and separate us from God. It's what he did in Cain's story. So be on your guard. Put on the full armor of God. If you're looking for, for that, find it in Ephesians 6. I want to pause for a moment because I also recognize that not everybody's in this position. Not everybody's in this position where you're kind of wrestling with God with something. Um, Satan can meet you there too. Satan can meet you in the midst of everything going just perfect because oftentimes when everything is perfect and nothing is wrong, nothing is, is, is testing us, that's the, those are the moments that we don't reflect on our hearts. Those are the moments when we... We, we get settled in comfort and settled in, in these places of, um, of complacency. And so, so I think these apply to you as well. Be on your guard. And number three, be real with your frustration. I think if, if Cain had, had recognized his anger and, and actually gone to, gone to Abel with his frustration, I think the story might, might have turned out different. But he didn't even recognize his, his, his situation. He wasn't in relationship with God because he, wasn't having a, he didn't have a conversation back. He wasn't in relationship with his brother because he, he failed to have that conversation with his brother. I think so often we get isolated in our own little worlds and we, we're never able to, to, to really be real with the frustrations that we have. But all we need is someone to have a conversation with. If you're not in relationships that go deeper than, than football and, and your kids, then you need to find community. We have small groups, we have Bible studies, we have opportunities to get connected to one another, but these conversations need to be happening. Church, we close with this. God is gracious. God is gentle. God is kind And God gives us every opportunity to do the right thing and to turn our hearts back to God. But the reality is, he also gives us the freedom to walk away. He gives us the freedom to leave his presence like Cain does. He leaves the presence of God because his heart is so turned from him. Friends, my prayer for each and every one of us is that we recognize the attitude of our heart far before we get to that place. That we are surrounding ourselves with people who can recognize that in our own lives and can draw us back into his presence. If you're dealing with this right now, if you're dealing with a misunderstanding of God's action or his role, I, begin, I ask that you would begin to question, to ask the question, how is what's, what's happening to me God's generosity? How is God showing generosity to me in the midst of this circumstance? I don't know if it was my mom's intention to, uh, to teach me a lesson in this, but I remember specifically when my mom told me that, I remember wrestling with that and saying, you know what? Maybe I don't need all of that. Maybe the most generous thing that, she, that my mom could do for me is to point me away from those material things that I thought that I needed. 
maybe the most generous thing that God can do for you and your story today is to call you back to his heart and, and show you the ways that you, your offering has not been faithful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray. God, you are good, you're gracious, and you're generous, and you promise us that. God, help us to see your generosity. Amen. Amen.